This is a work of fact. No, really, fact. Welcome to Ragbag's Fourth Wall. My name's Frank Burton, the real one, not the uh, the fictional version that you've been listening to over the last uh, nine episodes. It has been, yes, um, the Brollywood story. I'm bringing you the Brollywood story uh, as it really is, um, breaking through the fourth wall. Let's do this. So you'll have gathered by now, each episode is introduced by Uncle Claude saying that this is a work of fiction and um, he speaks the truth, uh, my uncle does. <laughs> it's me, it's me doing the voice. But um, it's, <laughs> you see what I've done here with this ragbag's fourth wall thing. I got him to say that this is a work of fact. So this is uh, this is actually it. This is a, an actual work of fact. I am the real Frank Burton speaking to you from my home uh, which is not a van I don't live in a van and um, I'm a writer I have a very different life to the fictional Frank Burton and I won't go on about my life but it's very different to <laughs> fictional Frank's life there is uh, there is no such person as as fictional Frank there's and all the other peripheral characters are all kind of made up people uh, as well, oh, largely made up people. Some of them are fictionalised versions of uh, public figures, as we will go on to discuss. What I'm doing with the Ragbag books is I'm basically writing a series of fictional memoirs. So I'm kind of fictionalising a, a version of my own life, really. But, you know, it, it is entirely a work of fiction, just to make that clear. I don't mean to labour the point too much, but what I've had to do now as well is that um, I think too many people were mistaking the books, for, or coming across the books and mistaking them for genuine autobiography. So I had to put on the, the cover of each of the books, not the cover, but in the blurb on the back, I've said, this is a work of fiction, honest, which is kind of like they had a playful way of saying, oh, it might be true. I thought that was just a fun way of saying it, a fun way of saying that this is a novel. You know, it, sh it should be clear already because it's, it's in the fiction section, where, wherever it is that you're purchasing it from. It's in the fiction section. So that's that should be the clue. But maybe you haven't picked it up from the fiction section. Maybe somebody's given it to you and said, oh, you should read this. That's what I like to think. Anyway, everyone's kind of passing them around. <laughs> There's all these copies out there that are being passed around. Uh, from person to person saying, you must read this great writer, Frank Burton. He's amazing. And, um, you know, the person might not know that, that that Frank Burton is a fictional character. So that's why I had to write it on the cover. That it is... <laughs> I really am labouring this point, aren't I? But um, that's, that's just what I feel that I have to do because I don't want to go down this route of um, kind of... I'm not trying to trick people into thinking that it's a real story. But I am being kind of playful with, with this idea that what I really do try and do with the Ragbag books is I, it, I make them 
I'm saying up front that it's a work of fiction. I've written on the covers even that this is a work of fiction, just in case anyone doesn't get it. And at, as part of this podcast series, I've, I've put that message from Uncle Claude at the start to say, this is a work of fiction. I want the lines to be clear that it isn't. But what I try and do in the writing is I just try and make it sound as real as possible. I try and make it sound like this actually this actually did happen to me. These are the kind of real things that I'm recalling. And uh, But that, that is the job of any fiction writer is to draw you into that world it can draw you in and make it sound like it's an authentic experience you know whether whether you're writing about life on on another planet or writing about you know something that happened in in the 13th century AD you know it, it, you have to make it sound like it's something that really happened in order to draw people in, in order for people to be convinced that this is worthy of their attention, I guess. But also that that's it, it's it's just like a playful kind of trick, I guess, that I'm playing, trying to make these kind of uh, quite often these kind of ludicrous stories uh, of you know robbing a bank with Benedict Cumberbatch is is quite a silly idea, isn't it? <laughs> It's, it's no, no one would if you actually say what the premise of this book is no one would take it seriously but I'm, I'm writing it as though it's all a perfectly normal thing that's something that I like to do is just write about write these kind of silly stories as though they're really serious stories there's never any point in this book that I'll, I'll go against that in any way um, that the whole point is that Frank is just trying to tell you about what happened to him. And uh, he he had some crazy experiences. He wants to tell you about these experiences of his. And uh, of course it did happen because there's all this history behind it. And here's the history of Brollywood Bank. And here, here's where Brollywood Bank came from. And um, he's friends with Bendit Cumberbatch. Why wouldn't he be friends with Bendit Cumberbatch? Bendit Cumberbatch has friends, does he not? Why Why isn't he friends with this guy? So that's uh, that's perfectly, you know, perfectly acceptable, you know, and uh, it's perfectly acceptable that, that there is this <laughs> secret bank um, in Lincolnshire that's underground that is, is basically con owned and controlled by these kind of uh, A-list celebrities because it really is a place for them to go and get away from this kind of uh, celebrity world that they inhabit and um it, it all sounds very reasonable doesn't it it all sounds like um the sort of thing that that would happen and that why wouldn't it why isn't this story true you know i do qu put quite a bit of thought into and uh, why wouldn't benedict rob it you know <laughs> benedict gets together with this guy and he robs the bank just to prove that he can do it because that that's the sort of guy he is he he invests himself in in, in things you know he, he played the part of professor stephen hawking and he really invested himself in that you know why wouldn't he invest himself in the idea of robbing a bank um you know he's an actor that's what he does you know so you could you could argue it that way as well and uh, you know why why wouldn't he do this <laughs> so that's that's the um that's the genre <laughs> that we're working in here okay it's um fake autobiography i'm not going to say that it's it's pure kind of uh, entertainment well, I, what what i would say is that it's primarily a work of entertainment and comedy but i, I do believe it has its own kind of literary merits as well I, i'm not going to say that it's a, a literary novel 
I'm not going to compare myself to Dostoevsky or Tolstoy or any of these people. Uh, I'm not uh, trying to be like a serious novelist in in the way that Tolstoy was a serious novelist. But you know, it, it is it is serious in its own way, and I'm writing about the pandemic and and all these sorts of things. And so you know, it's it's not just a, a silly story it's it's um there's some interesting things going on I, I would like to think there's some interesting things going on in this book slash podcast series so you know if, if you've listened to this part I, I presume that um you've listened to the whole thing if you're listening to this now if not there are going to be spoilers Let, let's just um get that up front and out of the way now I'm going to uh spoil the heck out of this thing <laughs> You notice that I I, I don't uh, I don't swear I've 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 brought this up um, before I think I'm talking about my writing style and there's a certain thing that I do I'll just um, rehash this idea again just in case you haven't heard me say this before so one of the kind of rules for writing that I have is that I don't write about sex and violence and I don't swear I do write about sex but in a very kind of um, very kind of offhand sort of way in that uh, th- there's even a bit that there is kind of um, a very, very brief sex scene in this book. It's literally three words, we had sex, and that's it. <laughs> okay, so that that's my entire description of the sexual act. We had sex. Uh, it's good that, isn't it? <laughs> but, you know, I, I, think, I think that is good. I think it's a lot better than a lot of sex scenes you will find in various different novels. There's a reason why they have the Bad Sex Awards. You know about the Bad Sex Awards, right? They had the uh, award for the most kind of ludicrous sex scene in a in a work of fiction. <laughs> My three-word sex scene is not going to be nominated uh, because I think it actually is quite a good sex scene, that. It's not very erotic or, uh, or sensual, but uh, it's not supposed to be. I, I, I just had to... It was important for the story that I point this out that the two of them had sex. So I just said that we had sex. So that's it, you know. And also, it's it's against the rules. So I'm not going to write kind of about any, any kind of graphic material. So there's no violence. There's occasional bits of like somebody gets punched in the face or something like that, as as happens in Brollywood a couple of times. But it's not what you call graphic violence, is it? You know. And there's no there's no swear words in. And it's not that I'm being prudish. It's just part of the style that I've developed, and it seems to be working for me. I think when I've I've tried to do, I've tried to go the opposite way, and in the past I've tried to do things that have got graphic details in them and bunch of expletives and stuff like that, and you know, talking very much about lots of different like taboo subjects and being kind of edgy in that way. But I've decided that I'm not very good at that. Or maybe I am, maybe I'm okay at it, I don't know. It's just that a lot of people are doing similar things. And what I would prefer to do is do something that no one is doing, I guess. Or um, Is it fair to say that nobody is doing what I'm doing? I don't know. Maybe there are people doing similar things to this, but I don't think they're doing it in quite the same way that I'm doing it. Get in touch and tell me and, and correct me on this. If if there is anybody else doing an equivalent to kind of the Ragbag series, I'd very much like to hear about it. Um, I think I'm doing something kind of unique with this Ragbag series. You know, I know that there have been other works of 
it's even got a name it's called auto fiction uh fictionalized autobiography and uh lots of people have done that but um not in the same way that i've done it that's what i'm trying to say and uh so there we have it but and one thing I will say about the uh, the Ragbag series, obviously this is the third. I'm I'm going to just refer. To, I know this is a podcast, but I'm just just for the sake of convenience, I'm going to refer to it as a book because um, it is coming out as a book, the Ragbag Book Three, Brollywood. So there we have it. And uh, I'm just for the rest of this uh, ramble, I'm going to refer to it as a book because it's easier. I'm going and I'm going to reference the other books in the series. So it's easier for me to call it a book because it's a book. So each of the ragbag books have got kind of a central character in addition to the narrator who is Frank Burton. Frank Burton being the narrator, but each of the books has a character that that novel is focusing on. And the first novel, Everything I Am, focuses on Frank Burton Sr., even though and, and Frank Burton Sr. isn't in the book very much, he's as a person who appears in the story. It's very much about Frank Burton Sr.'s absence. So, you know, you, you you see him at the start of the book, you see him at the end of the book. There's a whole bit in the middle where he's disappeared and Frank Burton Jr. is trying to find him. Or he was trying to figure out what happened. It's not that he's trying to find him, he's trying to find out more about him. For that reason, Frank Burton Sr. is kind of, you can call him the, the, the main character or the kind of subject of that book. Um, the second book, Getting Away With It, is very much about Jenna, who is Frank's friend from university, who also happens to be a criminal mastermind. So it's it's very clear when you're reading that book that Jenna is the main character of the book. And Frank is just kind of a, a guy who's describing all of these things that Jenna tells him. The third book, Brollywood, uh, was was very much going to be a Noddy's story. And it, it, it kind of is, really. I mean, there's a lot of Noddy in this one, isn't there? There's a lot of Noddy. It starts off talking about Noddy. The first line in the book is, I, I first, met, first met Noddy in prison or something like that. <laughs> Maybe that's the first line. And um, he's very much there the whole time. There's a lot of different stories, uh, different avenues, uh, shall we call them. Like a little oh by the way here's another story that Noddy told me lots of different Noddy stories and um, he's he's very much integral to the overall plot as well but in a way he's overshadowed by the presence of Benedict Cumberbatch <laughs> so I kind of think even though even though Brollywood is Noddy's book it's kind of like I kind of think of it as being Benedict's book just to make something clear as well. <laughs> I don't know Benedict Cumberbatch. I've never met him, okay? I just want to make that 100% clear. I know I keep saying at the start of of the thing that this is a work of fiction, just in case you were wondering. <laughs> and uh, I, I am pretty much 100% sure that the real Benedict Cumberbatch doesn't know who I am, and he, he hasn't got a clue that I'm doing this. At some point, somebody is going to tell him and maybe he'll be mildly amused by it. I don't know. I mean, I don't know anything about him. I don't know anything about the real Benedict Cumberbatch. What I've done is I've created like a fictional version of him, which may be nothing like it. I don't know whether he's whether he's like this in real life or not. It's, it's not really important, I don't think. I think um, because one of the convenient things about the choice of actor 
that was it, it just kind of it developed quite organically really you know it, it started as a bit of a joke on on the ragbag podcast kind of years ago so i've been doing this for for quite some time i've, I've invested quite a lot of uh, energy into convincing people that i am friends with benedict cumberbatch um so he he was kind of a quite a big part of the 100 episode run of the original ragbag podcast um so benedict would pop up from time to time and uh, the the joke was that benedict was a fan of frank's and frank didn't know who benedict was he'd never seen him in a film or anything like that he, he understood that he was an actor but he didn't really know who he was and he kind of befriended him and um they kind of ended up bonding over this bank heist thing and the bank heist was kind of a little background story that I came up for the podcast during that year of, of the pandemic of 2020. And uh, later on, I decided to write a whole book about it and kind of tie it in with those particular episodes of the podcast. It, it wasn't kind of a big part of the podcast at all. It was just kind of something that was going on in the background between Frank and Benedict and uh, I was very amused at the time, but I, I came up with this idea of the notebook going missing. And I said that on the front cover, I'd written Frank and Benedict's secret robbing diary. I really amused myself with that. <laughs> I thought it was, I, I just thought it was a, a really funny thing that I came up with. <laughs> that, uh, that me and Benedict had written the, these plans and we'd given it this really silly name. And then somebody had stolen it. And... Um, you know that the the crime was never solved on on the podcast. The crime was never solved, and it was never kind of mentioned again. So th this is kind of this is what happened. That this is like um this is almost like a an entire book that I've written to explain what happened. Um, kind of, but I'm explaining it kind of two years later for this uh, very kind of incidental detail on the podcast that I, presumably everyone who listened to it has forgotten about it now. <laughs> <laughs> so it, re it really is kind of a thing for the super fans this one like you would have to really study uh the ragbag podcast in, in quite some detail and extrapolate these kind of details about these kind of things that are mentioned in passing about this notebook and about this hypothetical bank heist that frank and benedict have come up with you would have to be really into the show to, to, to but but it it is there though, isn't it? It is there. The um, it all kind of ties in with the 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 podcast from two years ago. You know, I'd like to think at some point uh, there are going to be kind of proper like obsessive like ragbag fans who will really kind of go to town on kind of extrapolating all of these different bits of the podcast and saying, yeah, that really ties in with this thing from the third book, doesn't it? And it, it does, it does. There's loads of like these connections that you can make. And I, I tried to start doing it and I even kind of confused myself. I've tried to do this kind of the footnote section for the podcast. And um, there's so many different bits and pieces that kind of tie in together and things that are mentioned from the previous book that kind of, um, you know, and I've, I've been trying to do this the whole time of like, uh, you know, in the early episodes, there'd be like a the kind of setup for a joke would be in like episode seven. And then the punchline to the joke would be in like episode nine. I, you have to really kind of, you remember that thing that I said two weeks ago? This is what I meant. And, you know, <laughs> you have to really pay attention. There's all these little kind of, um, are they called Easter eggs? 
Are they called Easter egg? I don't. I still don't know what an Easter egg is, but I think Easter egg is the term for this sort of thing, is it not? I don't know if it is. I, I'm going to have to. At some point, I'm going to have to look that up, and I, I just can't be bothered. I, I, I'll just call it an Easter egg, just for the sake of convenience. <laughs> Easter egg. Why do they call it that? I wonder. I don't know. It's, it's, it's an odd thing to call it, isn't it? Strange. Yeah, let's just address the Benedict thing, shall we? So, thus far, Benedict has not appeared in any of the ragbag books, and he's not going to again. I want to make that clear also, um, because I don't think I could get away with it twice. He appeared in uh, in the very final chapter of Getting Away with It. To be fair, if I'm just if I'm being pedantic, he appeared in the final chapter of Getting Away with It. I didn't say who he was exactly. I just said my friend Benedict. So I didn't say that he was the actor Benedict Cumberbatch. Uh, people who listen to the podcast will know who I'm talking about. They'll know that I'm talking about Benedict Cumberbatch, the actor. But because the character has been in the podcast quite a bit, and and I even went to the lengths of, of getting my friend um, Dave Halewood to play the part of Benedict. In So Benedict had his, had his own episode, um, which, which Dave Halewood did a great job of. And I was very pleased with it as well, actually. I... Th- I was pleased with the writing of, of that uh, episode. And it was just kind of Benedict being kind of silly and um, kind of telling this story about about, uh, about Nigel Planer, um, which I thought I thought was a, a great story, the Nigel Planer story. I, I really um, enjoyed writing that. And um, like I say, Dave did a great job of performing it. And uh, I think I had to, for the book, I had to change the character a bit because by the time we got to the Benedict Cumberbatch takeover episode of Ragbag, um, I'd created this this kind of, um, I wouldn't say he's a caricature, but he's, he's, he's kind of like this slightly ridiculous kind of uh, pompous actor type who's just a bit of a buffoon he's clearly just a comedy character in that episode. He says some pretty wild things, you know, he's he's not supposed to be a real person. And I think for the for the book I had to tone that down a bit because in keeping with the rest of the Ragbag series, it has to I have to at least make it sound like he's a real person. So I, I did have to kind of tone it down a bit that whole, that kind of buffoonery element of um benedict i kept some of it you know he is kind of he does do some kind of silly things like he he kind of you know he he calls noddy mr noddy and stuff like that (laughs) so just like silly things like that kind of getting people's names wrong and kind of uh frank will say something odd and and benedict won't understand what he's saying you know that sort of thing like he's he's kind of a, a little bit head in the clouds you know, is is very much part of this kind of uh, celebrity bubble. And like I say, I, I don't know whether the real Benedict Cumberbatch is like this or not. Maybe maybe it's a perfect, like, a rendering of him. You know, I really don't know. I've, I've, I've got no idea what the real person is like. And, and like I say, it's not important what the real person is like. This is a story. So it's important to stress as well, this isn't like anything like fan fiction. I'm sure there's loads of like Benedict Cumberbatch fan fiction out there where, where kind of genuine fans of his will, will write things about him. But, you know, I'm, you know, uh, 
I'm not going to say that I'm I'm particularly am a fan. You know, I think he's a good actor, and he's been in some decent movies. But I, you know, I, I don't I wouldn't say that I'm really a, a big fan of his or anything like that. I just thought it'd be fun to um, do something with a famous person, and uh, do like a fi- fictional version of them. And it just happens that I chose Benedict Cumberbatch as that person. I couldn't say exactly why I chose that particular person. It just, that's the way it worked out. That's the way that uh, my mind works sometimes. I just pick someone, yeah, he'll do. I'll do, I'll have some fun with him, you know. And if, of course, um, there are lots of other celebrities uh, in this book as well, which um, I I thought would be a good idea. So the um, the initial thought that I had was that Okay, Benedict's not been in any any of the books yet. Let's do just one with him in, and then that'll be it. And that'll be the entirety of of it. I won't do it again, because I won't be able to get away with it twice. And if I'm going to do it, I should really go to town on this. And not just have Benedict, but have all of Benedict's friends in there as well. So, of course, we have all these other people. We have Anthony Hopkins, we... We have all these, uh, all these other people, and of course we have um, a shout out to a famous man who cannot be named for legal reasons. Who um, I, I I love this character. He's great, isn't he? Uh, <laughs> he's great. Um, again, I'm not trying to kind of trick anyone into thinking that, that that these are real people. But you know, I do quite like the idea though of of kind of people discovering this account of me and benedict robbing this bank and coming across this character famous man who cannot be named for legal reasons and trying to figure out who it is (laughs) i like this idea i like this idea that people are going to be oh who's he talking about who is he talking about Uh, (laughs) i just think it's funny i just like i just like the idea of of, of people reacting in that way and the, the the weird thing is I came up with this, what I thought was a completely preposterous idea of uh, this kind of A-list celebrity who's actually a cannibal. And um, shortly after this book was written, it happened. (laughs) It happened in real life. There was a... uh, I I, I can't actually remember the guy's name, so... um, (laughs) appropriately enough i can't remember his name but he would he was a hollywood actor who was accused of cannibalism not necessarily accused of the physical act of eating human flesh but he was accused of having cannibalistic fantasies about women and kind of uh, talking to them as though he was going to eat them or something like that i don't know the full details of a story but it's really bizarre isn't it that really really odd that I feel like I brought it on myself you know what I mean I came up with this character who's like you know <laughs> something that I, I assume would never happen and yeah yeah it happened it happened but the thing is um, if you're one of those people who is kind of listening to uh, the podcast or reading the book and going oh who is it who is he talking about um, it's not that guy okay <laughs> it's not that guy we know this because famous man who cannot be named for legal reasons is english and uh, i believe the the real 
actor who was accused of cannibalism was American. Or maybe he wasn't. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure who he is. So, um, and, and again, I can't even remember his name, but um, I just think it was odd that that happened. Very strange, isn't it? <laughs> so, yeah, there's all these other celebrities. And I, I think um, I think that's quite a strong um, part of the book. Uh, I, th- I think it was a good decision to make. Um, to Because uh, just having Benedict uh, kind of appear in the book for a bit, it wouldn't serve much great purpose, really. He has to be central. I think he... In order for that to work, in order for that kind of conceit to work, he would have to be an integral part of the story. But I mean, he's not. In a way, he's just a minor character, though. Benedict in this, he's not in it very much. Um, he's spoken about more than he's actually there, I guess. It gives me the opportunity to keep him as kind of this slightly mysterious figure, in that he's mostly spoken about but rarely seen. He's not seen very much uh, in for most of the first half of the book, and then for quite a bit of the second half, he's not really in uh, the the story that much because he kind of disappears off to the vault during the during the big sort of um, heist uh, scene itself. Kind of uh, Benedict isn't even there; he's down in the vault uh, for most of it. Well, Frank is having the fight with the cannibal guy. <laughs> um but yeah uh, one thing that i was quite pleased uh, about as well was the actual the use of kind of real facts about the real benedict because uh, i understand that he was quarantined in new zealand at the start of the pandemic while he was filming power of the dog and uh, i included that in the uh, and the dates all kind of match up so it was like uh, that bit where we're talking over the phone on the 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 tent cast which um i I, i'm sure you can appreciate that this is not a real podcast it was a a nice fun little parody of like a rubbish podcast basically um and um yeah the the real benedict was actually there in in new zealand at the time i i I thought uh if anyone wants to fact check (laughs) this story um I've got my facts all down. He was in New Zealand. Um, I'm not sure what he did after that. In in this book, he, he came back to the UK and robbed a bank and then went to LA. I mean, it sounds plausible. It sounds the sort of thing, it sounds like the sort of thing that, that Benedict would do. <laughs> Apart from the bank heist bit, obviously. So um, the other thing, the thing that I wasn't quite sure about, you know, how silly is this idea and um, I have to kind of keep the because it's a series of books. I kind of have to keep the tone kind of similar, uh, you know, to the previous ones. So you know, the the previous novel, getting away with it, is also it has has a similar sort of theme in that it's it's about these these large acts of extortion and kind of taking historical buildings to ransom and stuff like that as well. So that in itself is perhaps a sillier idea than than the bank heist idea which is in its own way it's quite a bit more straightforward than the um the crimes that take place in getting away with it but because i'm claiming to have robbed this bank that's populated by hollywood stars and things like that it it, it kind of it get it gets a it, it goes into a kind of comic territory that 
I have perhaps shied away from a bit in the um, in the previous book. So it is a sillier book than the previous two books. So I had to weigh this up when I was deciding kind of what to write about in in the third book. How silly can I make it? But I think what I've managed to do <laughs> is kind of counterbalance the silliness with some kind of serious stuff as well. So it's it's purely by uh, by accident that I ended up writing about the pandemic because I had the idea for the novel before the pandemic hit. So I already had this plan in place that I was going to, you know, the third book was going to be about this bank heist. And I kind of had like um, not necessarily like a very clear idea about what was going to happen, but I had kind of the bones of the structure of the story and stuff. And then I had and then I had to change it and in order to accommodate COVID-19. And that was a challenge in itself. So I had to um, <laughs> had to follow all of these COVID restrictions, uh, you know, in the story. Uh <laughs> it's not just it's not just that you have to follow covid restrictions in real life is that you have to follow them in fiction as well in order to make the fiction believable because if everyone just ignored all the covid restrictions as they as they mostly did in in um a lot of um a lot of fiction uh, they mostly ignored it mostly in tv shows and films and stuff like that it just the pandemic was mostly ignored. Like you'd, you'd see a scene and there'd be somebody, there'd be an extra in the background with a mask on and that would be their way of acknowledging the pandemic. Now, I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to do that at all. I wanted to be really strict about, because it's not plausible. I would see things like that during the pandemic. The version of reality that was being peddled on the TV in these shows that that was presumed that was supposedly happening at the time of the pandemic um it was completely removed from the actual reality of what life was like uh, during lockdowns you know it's, you were, we really were restricted weren't we um i don't know about you international listeners i was certainly uh, for, for quite a long time just kind of mostly confined to my home I mean, there was very little to do. Most of the places that, that people would go would be closed. Workplaces were closed. Shops were closed. Restaurants were closed. You couldn't go to a bar for a drink. It but it would be complete... Uh, uh, <laughs> I don't really have it. Just, just, just remember, they go to a bar for a drink, don't they? The hotel bar. Yeah. Um, maybe... Would there, would there have been a bar open at that? Oh, yes, they would. Yes, because uh, that happened after the... Uh, just questioning myself here. That um, would Frank and Benedict have been served in a hotel bar? Yes, they would, because they waited until the restrictions had been eased during the summer months, which is what happened. And that's why they were able to do that. And that's why they were able to carry out the heist as they did with kind of you know fewer people and uh mask wearing and things like that so yeah it was very important that um i had all the details of the various different restrictions at various different times throughout the book and um i, I was able to include kind of that 
the first lockdown, the easing of the restrictions, then the second lockdown, and they had all the dates and everything like that. Everything had to match up. All the restrictions had to be properly followed. You know, there is uh, there's certain things that, that weren't entirely kind of um, following the restrictions, if you like. Like um, like when Frank says to Benedict, um, oh, you're part of my bubble now. <laughs> now, um, <laughs> I am fully aware, listeners, that I know that that is not how bubbles work. <laughs> but um, how do bubbles work? And it's it's not really important now to know how bubbles work because bubbles nobody you don't need to worry about what bubbles are like anymore, do you? Because nobody has bubbles anymore. Um, if you're listening uh, kind of, uh, in the future and you you probably can't even remember what I'm talking about with bubbles, this is what happened during the lockdown. We used to have to have uh, have form like support bubbles, and it was really strict. You could only have it was basically you and your family were in a support bubble. Or sometimes you could be in a support bubble with somebody from another household um, if it was necessary to be in a bubble with them. <laughs> I just like I just like the word bubble. It's it's a good word that, isn't it? Um, I've said it about a hundred times in this explanation. So writing about the pandemic, it was important that I got those details right. And uh, but it it was um, it worked out okay because it it um, it was a it was a nice little counterweight to the, the the silliness of the I, I even tried to go even more serious with various different other things as well i was going to yeah i was i was gonna get quite kind of um a lot more serious really i was gonna i was gonna have frank getting a bit more outraged than he did about the way that the government responded to the pandemic and things like that and um i was even gonna have some kind of commentary on like george floyd's murder that happened around that time as well. And um, I, I, I didn't do it. It didn't seem like an appropriate thing to do, you know, and um, particularly in it, <laughs> particularly in, in a, what is a very kind of silly kind of comedy book. And, you know, let's face it, nobody needs to hear my take on George Floyd, do they? Nobody does. You know, it's all very well me pontificating about these kind of uh, political stuff that's going on in the world. Um, but it's it's probably not appropriate for me to do that in this context. You see what I mean? So I didn't go that far, but I was able to, you know, well, it's not that I was able to. I had to incorporate the pandemic because it happened at the time uh, that I'm claiming these things happened. So I had to, you know, I couldn't just um, and uh, because it was in the podcast <laughs> uh during the year 2020 i couldn't just like change it and say oh actually it happened the year before or it happened the year after because i'd already put those episodes out now and I, I don't want to contradict anything that happened in the uh even though as i've said like nobody remembers these minor details from like a podcast from 2020 that very few people listen to <laughs> you know nobody remembers it now but uh, it was important to me to be in keeping with uh, those facts from from that um, from that show so it, it is a silly book but it also it is kind of a, a serious book as well there are serious things going on and the, the character stuff in terms of frank's character is actually a actually quite 
personal in its own way. There are, there are times when I get kind of more personal than I usually would. Like there's the times when, when Frank is talking about his frustration about his lack of commercial success. He talks about it a few times, but it, it, I'm mostly thinking about the scene when him and Noddy kind of meet each other in the park uh, under COVID-19 uh, restrictions, <laughs> mind you. And um, he's talking about his, his frustration about not having the kind of success that he wanted to have as a novelist. Really, that that's kind of that that is my frustration. That these are my frustrations that I'm getting out through that character, and um, I don't often get kind of personal like that. I suppose the other thing as well, I, I will I will say is that we get kind of into with each of the ragbag books. I try and get under this character's skin a little bit more each time and uh, examine his different the different insecurities that he has as a character. So each time I think I, I try and kind of uh, dig a little bit deeper into the character. And Frank has this thing where he finds it difficult to trust people and he finds it difficult to make friends with people. And we see that in particular in this book that he makes friends with this guy, Jamie, and he kind of becomes kind of attached to him. The, the friendship doesn't work out in the end and uh, he's quite sad about that and also he struggles with his friendship with Benedict he he doesn't refer to Benedict as his friend or he doesn't call him his friend very often and Benedict's quite upset about this what I'm really doing here is I'm writing about my own insecurities as a person as well and uh, it's not very often that I do this it's not very often that my own kind of um personality comes through through uh fictional frank fictional frank is quite different to me really i think um it's quite a different character <laughs> to the real frank burton but uh in this case it, it is quite personal that it is quite my way of exploring my own difficulties i have sometimes with friendships and it takes me a long time to properly open up to people i think if there's a new person in my life it takes it um i'm not going to reveal my true self to them straight away i have to get to know them really well first and then only then will i kind of uh reveal the true extent of my nature <laughs> no, <I'm not. laughs> reveal the true extent of my nature um <laughs> makes me sound uh, troubling that doesn't it makes me sound like the cannibal um <laughs> takes me a while to come out of the closet as a cannibal you know what i mean i i have to keep that to myself no that, that's not what i mean at all um it's just uh, one of those things that uh, gets explored in in um in some small way i guess uh, in this book and an interesting thing that um i think it's a bit of a cliche thing and it's a bit of a contentious thing for me because I, I don't really like this question the question is what uh, you're supposed to ask yourself, uh, as a writer, you're supposed to ask yourself this question about characters' motivations. In order for them to be a fully rounded character, you have to have a proper answer to this question. Now, I don't necessarily think this is true, but I'll tell you what the question is and you, you can make up your own mind. So the question is, what does this character want? And the thinking is that you can get to the heart of a character by isolating 
the kind of the the one thing that that person wants that is their underlying motivation for pretty much everything that they do you hear this a lot you really do hear it a lot and uh, when you if you dig into the world of creative writing um it gets talked about quite a lot this and um i don't necessarily think it's the best approach for uh, characterization i don't employ this strategy myself usually but as it happens i think two of the characters in this book has been useful for them for my understanding of them is to have a look at what this character wants so in this particular context um the what benedict cumberbatch wants <laughs> and uh it turns out i mean that all benedict wants is for frank to be his friend the moment that you know they get to the end of the heist and they go back to the hotel and Benedict kind of opens up to Frank and he challenges challenges him on this and says, well, you keep on calling me mate all the time, but are we really friends? Why didn't you call me a friend? And, um, you know, Frank says back to him, like, you know, well, you know, I find it difficult. I find it difficult to say these things. And, uh, you know, we, we find out about Frank's insecurities and so on and so on. And, um, and uh, you know, in the end, he, he does call him a friend, and he says, "I did all of this for you. I hope you, I hope you realise that the whole reason I'm here, I did this whole bank heist thing. I didn't do it for anybody else. I did it for you." That basically is that moment that uh, concludes a person's story, or is supposed to. If you're using this model of storytelling, once that character gets what they want, that's the end of their story. And as I say, it's helpful because. I uh, I only want Benedict to be in this one book. I don't want him to be in any of the future ones. Um, so we have to kind of round off Benedict's story here in this book, and that has to be the conclusion of Benedict's character. So it was quite helpful that, that um, what does this character want? He wants Frank to be his friend. We get to the end of the story. Frank says, I am your friend. And Benedict is happy, and away he goes. And that's the end of that character. Does that make sense? I hope I'm uh, I hope I'm explaining myself properly with this. I think it makes sense, doesn't it? And um now of course uh one thing that I've done as well with um with Uncle Claude is that I've um I've stated outright what it is that Uncle Claude wants. Now you're not supposed to do this. Another one of those rules, folks. Um show don't tell is what they say, isn't it? You've heard that surely. Show don't tell. So um figure out what the character wants but don't tell the audience that that's what the character wants you have to keep that in the background uh, i have been keeping this in the background for quite some time but um it is i guess it's always been apparent what uncle claude wants uh, it's been apparent since day one it's um long-term listeners to the show will know that um the first episode of, of the podcast on which uncle claude appeared uh, was called the Uncle Claude Takeover, and Uncle Claude was uh, the presenter of the podcast, and um, it was all about Claude's relationship with Frank, and it was kind of clear from day one, really, that what Claude wants is... Let's have a look at what, what we've said about uh, Claude. So I'll just read the bit from the book. I've got it right here. Claude loves me with all of his heart. He's the only person in this world who's ever loved me unconditionally. 
Claude wishes that I was his son and not his useless brothers. He wishes he could be a father to me in the way my dad never was. So that that's it. That's what Claude wants. And um, it's uh, so it's a complicated relationship that uh, Frank and Claude have got uh, going on between the two of them. And uh, they actually do do a bit of kind of that kind of father son bonding that that Claude is really after. That does happen um, in in the later stages of his book. So that uh, you know that. But has he got what he wanted in the end? I don't know. And um, it's it's an ongoing relationship. I'm going to be doing lots more with the Uncle Claude character, uh, so watch out for that. And you know, uh, maybe he'll get what he wants one day. Um, and I guess once he does, that will be the end of Claude's story. Or maybe that's not the way. He doesn't have to work like that just because uh, that's what I did with the Benedict character. I don't know. But, uh, but needless to say, I will be doing lots more <laughs> with. Um, the character of Uncle Claude in the upcoming situation comedy Frank and Claude are following you so watch out for that I'm going to be making that soon hopefully um, so the structure of this book is kind of interesting isn't it there's a lot of side stories there's a lot of um, by the way this happened and let me tell you a story about this or that and um, what do you call what's the what's the actual word for it <laughs> I've forgotten the word. There's a there's a proper technical term for this. I should know it, but I don't. Uh, well, I, I do know it, but the word has gone out of my head. Anyway, you know what I mean. Side stories, things going on. Structurally, it's kind of similar to a, a book that I wrote, which is um, which that's the entirety of the book. So um, I wrote a novel called One Hundred, which is all kind of a a series of interconnected stories and there's no real plot and uh, no real character no, no like fully rounded characters because um, they're all kind of short story type characters you know with this book it's it's a proper novel obviously there's proper characters in there and there is a proper plot you know there's a proper actually there's a proper story running through the whole thing but there's all these other stories as well that form the basis of it and um I was a bit unsure about whether this was going to work or not. I hope it does. I hope it does. I don't know whether it does or not, because I think probably some people are going to be put off by this technique that I'm employing of whatever the technical term is. <laughs> it's late at night. It's late at night, listeners. It's um, <laughs> 10 to midnight at the moment, um, and uh, I've been awake for a very long time. Um, but that that happens to be the time that I'm recording this. So there you go. Um, words are failing me at, at this time. I will wrap up soon because um, uh, for one thing, I'm going to go to sleep. You can make up your own mind, I guess, about whether you like the structure of it or not. It's a matter of personal opinion. And, you know, some people are going to be put off by the structure. Some people are going to be put off by the fact that I'm fictionalizing real people. Presumably including, you know, a few people who like the first two books might not like the third one because they're not going to buy into the idea of Benedict Cumberbatch being in this book. It's just, uh, I'm not going with you on that journey, Frank, they will say. And they will close the book and say, no, no, thank you. I'll wait for the fourth one that hasn't got any fictionalized celebrities in. And I will say, yes, 
I'm writing that at the moment. Um, it's, it's going very well. And you're right, there are no fictionalised celebrities in the fourth one. But these are the things that you have to do. I, th- I think you have to weigh these things up. Um, that There's always going to be someone who doesn't like a particular idea. And uh, I think if I'm going to dish out one piece of advice in this uh, rambling monologue of mine, it's that you just have to go with what you think is a good idea. Even when you know that there are some people out there who aren't going to like it, you know. But you're never going to please everybody, are you? It's uh, one of those things that you just have to go with the idea that you think is, is good yourself. You have to be behind it. You have to, you know, be fully invested in that idea. And if you're fully invested in it, then other people will be too. Not everybody will be, but that's just the way it goes. Um, because personal taste and all of that, you just can't write something that is going to appeal to everyone. Even the most popular authors in the world aren't able to do that. I have absolutely no interest in Harry Potter. Absolutely no interest in it whatsoever. I've, 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 um, I've tried uh, watching the films. I've uh, tried reading a couple of the books. I've just got no interest in it whatsoever. I've tried my best. <laughs> it just really doesn't appeal to me at all. And but I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not the target audience for it. So it's no wonder. It's no wonder that um, I don't understand it. It's not for me. And um, I guess that's it. I try not to think of things in terms of target audiences, though. You know, I mean, who's the target audience for Ragbag? I've got no idea. You know, I think maybe that a marketing guy would say I'm doing this wrong. If you haven't got a target audience, then uh, where are you going with this, Frank? What's <laughs> what's your end game? Well, um, it's a good question, that. What, <laughs> where am I going with this? Well, I think it's good not to have a, a target I genuinely think if I had a target audience in mind for this, it wouldn't be as good. It would just be kind of littered with references and just different aspects of storytelling that specifically appeals to a demographic of people, which is a very cynical way to put a story together. And uh, it just wouldn't be as good. I prefer not to have a target audience. Just that, you know, anyone who's cool frankly <laughs> as far as i'm concerned um if you're listening to this you're cool you're my target audience so congratulations and also just coming back to this idea of um what does this character want asking yourself that question what does frank want what does fictional frank want it's a good one that isn't it and uh, <laughs> i've uh, i've come to the conclusion that he doesn't know what he wants this is one of the reasons why I think this is uh, a flawed model for characterization. Ha- having like a thing that a character wants and that is their underlying motivation for everything that they do. I really like the character of fictional Frank. And I like the fact that he doesn't really want anything. You know, it it, it could be argued that reading certain bits of Brollywood that uh, Frank is motivated by, he goes after things that he finds interesting and he wants to immerse himself into a story that he is telling uh, in order to have an interesting experience. And he says at one point to Jamie, he says the story is everything. You could say that is the heart of the character that he's just pursuing, uh, he's, he's doing these things in order that he can tell the story about it later on. 
But I don't think that is the heart of the character. I think the character doesn't really have a heart, and that's okay. He He's not really motivated by anything as such. He doesn't have any kind of deeply held desires, and there isn't any one thing that he is pursuing. He's just kind of wandering his way through life. And uh, that, I believe, is what most people are doing also. And that's the problem that I have with this idea that everyone has this underlying motivation. Because it's not true. It's very rare that you meet someone who has <laughs> like a one thing that they are motivated by. Uh, I think people are a lot more complicated than that. Well, I think while while this technique has its merits, it also has its flaws as well. And uh, yeah, I'm very skeptical whenever I hear people say that you have to ask yourself this question, what does the character want? You don't necessarily have to ask that question is what I'm saying. I've got, I know I've made this point twice now, <laughs> but um, I, I just wanted to make that point that fictional Frank doesn't really follow that rule um, because he doesn't want anything. So he gets a load of money in the end, doesn't he? <laughs> so um, I just thought of that. That wasn't uh, that wasn't like a planned ending, by the way. Um, the ending of, of Bollywood, where Frank runs off with the money. I just thought of that um, as I was writing it. I think I think what would be a good way of ending this story? Um, oh, I know. You can go back to the bank and rob it for real. Um, <laughs> so that's that. That's what he did. Um, and yeah, I'm currently trying to figure out what he does next what what is he going to do with with this money that he stole and um i've got a few different options in my mind but i'm I'm trying to figure out really what what is he going to do with this money that he's stolen but i'm not going to answer that question in the fourth book the fourth book isn't about that at all it's it goes way back in time and goes back into kind of frank's childhood and stuff so that's what the fourth book's going to be so Watch out for the fourth book. Yeah, it's getting towards midnight now, so I'm I'm going to go to sleep. But um, I think I should wrap this up, shouldn't I? Wrap this up in some kind of uh, nice little way. I'll talk about my favourite bits of the um of the book and the, the, what what were the highlights for me. Um, I've talked quite a bit about things that I thought might not have worked, so maybe I'd, I'd like to end on a positive note of the bits that I really liked. Um, I really like the scene with the post box where, where where Frank has posted the letter and he's waiting by the post box for the for the postman to arrive so that he convinced him to give the letter back. That that was uh, I mean it's one of those little little kind of in, inconsequential things that you could take it out of the book and the book would still make sense. But um, I like little scenes like that where it's it's not like a part of the plot as such. It's just like a little aside. But this is part of the fun of, of storytelling for me is that you can take it to various different places and, um, you know, and, and then you can get back to the point at hand. Uh, but these places that you stop off on the way are, um, it's all about the journey. It's not about the destination. It's about the journey or something like that. I don't know. So I like the post box bit. Um, I particularly like the, the Anthony Hopkins letters <laughs> that, um, <laughs> I think it's because um <laughs> that there were like um like two films weren't there where Anthony Hopkins wrote letters to people there was Shadowlands and there was Remains of a Day and so I've had him writing letters <laughs> in this one as as well 
because um, <laughs> uh, you know he's just a letter writer isn't he? he just writes letters all the time this guy he loves them I think I nailed it nicely this kind of explanation about of where Bollywood Bank had come from and why it was there I was quite pleased with the way that with those Anthony Hopkins letters that explains it all and um, of course the actors nicknames as well uh, Anthony Hopkins being Hoppo and uh, Benedict's nickname being Nigel and um, all this sort of thing. I, I, I really, um, I thought that added something nice, something kind of indefinable that that was added to, to the story because all the, all the actors call themselves, as I assume, you know, they would do. Like, it's, it's just like any kind of workplace, isn't it, really? The whole Brollywood world is just kind of like a like a workplace where everyone's got their own nicknames or their own kind of in jokes with each other. So what? Why wouldn't they call? Why wouldn't they call Benedict Nigel as a joke? You know that that's the sort of thing that that they would do. I would I would imagine. What I tried to do was just um, just have some of the nicknames have an explanation and some of them don't. Like uh, they called David Harewood Pecker. I didn't say why they call him Pecker. The actual explanation is that the hair wood and woody, woody woodpecker, and so they call him Pecker. But I didn't explain that. It's a bit too complicated to explain. So I just, uh, you know, you, can, you might be able to figure out why they call him Pecker because of the wood in his name. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I, I've, I've, mentioned, I've mentioned David Harewood and uh, David Halewood. Now, David, these are two different people. Uh, David Halewood is my is is my David Halewood is, is my friend who played the part of Benedict in in the podcast and and uh, David Harewood is a, is an internationally recognised British actor, <laughs> which uh, you know David Halewood's great, but he he's not quite as famous as David Harewood. Um, that that's all I'm saying. Just in case you got confused by me be saying saying those two names in the same episode. They sound very similar, don't they? But they're not. Um, what else did I like? Um, yeah, just just little bits, uh, little bits like um, like sitting down talking about David Bowie. You know, just a little aside about kind of the um, the hula hoop principle that that Jamie comes up with, uh, and his theory about David Bowie. I mean, it's just, it's just it's inconsequential, isn't it? There's nothing to do with the story there. That's just like two guys having a conversation. And um, I think it's great. One of the great things about novel writing is that you can just take that time. You can take all the time that you need to kind of flesh things out and just kind of uh, enjoy things along the way, really. Um, I think there was a whole kind of, uh, you know, a good kind of couple of pages of that, a, a good couple of pages of just talking about David Bowie and uh, no plot whatsoever in that. That's just like two guys having a conversation because why not? That's, um, you know, you don't have to go at like a frantic pace, action, 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 you know, uh, it doesn't need to be like that. It actually is. Um, I'd like to think that it, that this book is like a proper like crime thriller, uh, you know, and it, it's got kind of all the kind of uh, the twists and turns and hidden surprises that you would expect from a proper crime thriller. I'd like to think the same about the previous book, Getting Away With It, as well. Whether I've achieved that or not is up to you, but that's what I would like to think.
but also because uh, but maybe i haven't done maybe it's not a proper crime thriller because i've got all of these bits in there about you know frank waiting outside the post box or kind of frank sitting around talking about david bowie or or, all these sort of little details that are kind of uh along the way but for, for me that these are the important things the these are the these are the really good bits of of the story well where i'm not telling the story at all i'm just kind of shooting the breeze for a while you know uh, or just play playing around with these little ideas that kind of form kind of part of a, a larger network of ideas that are stretched across the whole book and uh that's that that sounded good yeah network of ideas there's a whole network of ideas yeah i like that there's probably a better way of putting it but i can't think uh, of a better way of putting it at this moment in time um so yeah i think i've probably said enough now and um once again it's been it's been great fun it's been great fun writing the book it's been it's been fun performing it as well <laughs> <laughs> not great fun but it's been fun <laughs> i do uh, it's uh yeah it's been quite it's been quite the experience um i i do uh, i i i think i enjoy the writing more than i enjoy the performing i think that's the thing i think it's uh, I, I struggle with the performance quite a bit i i i end up putting a lot of time into it and a lot of thought into it and i do find it frustrating sometimes uh, kind of recording the audiobook versions for things uh, because that's not like you know I'm not a professional actor or anything like that you know I'm just a guy um, whereas I'm properly like I'm properly qualified to do the writing I've got a master's degree in creative writing and I'm I'm a published author and you know I've I've written things for tv and radio and I'm well placed to do the writing. I'm properly qualified to do the writing. <laughs> I'm not. Uh, I'm not a trained performer at all, you know. And uh, I don't have a huge wealth of experience of performing. You know, in in the same way that Benedict Cumberbatch has got a huge wealth of before he could probably do this in his sleep. The real Benedict Cumberbatch, if you do it, do it with his eyes closed. You know, memorize the whole thing and just reel it all off. Consummate professional, I would imagine, <laughs> or is he? Maybe he's just maybe he's just like a a buffoon, like um, like uh, I have painted him uh, in the book. I don't know. Um, I I probably never will know. I, I'm very unlikely to meet him. I I expect. Uh, but yeah, like I say, it'd be, it'd be nice for him to um, get wind of this at some point. That uh, someone has gone to the trouble of writing a whole novel about him robbing a bank and um, he's not allowed to sue me for this either because I've got the, dis the disclaimer um, at the start for Uncle Claude saying that this is a work of fiction so he, he can't there's nothing he can do about it mate <laughs> but you know if, if he does take me to court which is very unlikely but if he does take me to court it'd be, be great publicity wouldn't it for the podcast and for the uh, series of books and all of that that's not what I'm doing it for I'm just doing it for a laugh but um, it would be good uh, if we got that kind of level of real kind of a high profile court case uh, <laughs> you know we'll, uh, we'll see how that pans out shall we
maybe they'll they'll catch me before I release this whole thing, and um, no one's ever going to hear this. Uh, and I'm just literally just sitting in an empty room talking to myself, and no one is ever going to hear it because um, Benedict's lawyers got to me before I managed to publish. Well, <laughs> there's a sobering thought, and. Uh, what a thought to end on, eh? I'm going to have to end it now. But um, once again, thank you for listening. And uh, yeah, do check out my other work on frankburson.co.uk. I will see you next year for the next instalment of Ragbag Presents. Words are in my